This is the I Read Comic Books Podcast. I am your host for this week's episode, Paul Jaisley. I'm filling in for the magnificent Mike Rappin, uh, but I'm not alone. I'm joined by two wonderful people to discuss comic books with. Tia Vasilio. Hello. And Renee Rodriguez. What's up? Uh, thank you both for joining me on this journey. I'm pretty excited about this week's topic. I think we're going to have a good conversation. But before we get to that, I'm contractually obligated as the hosts to ask the question that Mike always asks. How have you been? How are comic books? Uh, let's start with you, Renee. Uh, comics are good. You know, just been reading a little bit here and there and always obviously reading lots of manga as, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, also contractually <laughs> obligated. <laughs> uh but lately i guess i just i've been reading more of my monthlies because i just put them on the back burner because it's mm-hmm. well you know i like to get them built up you know and then also i forget because there's months in between so i read the newest uh chapter of blue exorcist which is a story by kazooie kato and um it's getting pretty interesting uh it's chapter 114 looks like <laughs> we're uh starting to get into the end game here so Real excited about that, and I'm also excited because I've got a couple bets with my best friend about things that are going to happen in the story, so it's finally time to collect. <laughs> and uh, I've never thought of that. That's a really interesting concept, betting on <laughs> comics. I have to try that sometime, maybe. Oh, yeah, yeah. We do it all the time because we'll, we'll read like seven of the same stories, and he'll be like, I bet you this is going to happen. I was like, uh, I think this is going to happen, and uh, <laughs> you know. It's it, we don't bet like money. It's more like oh, you know, what? I'll bet dinner or something, or it's like uh, oh, okay, or yeah. a slap to the face because we're twelve. <laughs> sure. <laughs> but uh, I also read um, Platinum Men chapter forty four, which is another monthly, and it's a, a story by Sugumi Oba and art by Takeshi Obata, and this is the same duo that did Death Note, and um, this is their newest story, and it's uh, it's they're only on chapter forty four, but it also feels like we're kind of in the end game but who knows with them because this they're all twisty but it's good that's the yeah you basically summed up my feelings about manga by saying they're all twisty so <laughs> there you go <laughs> that's good that's good i'm gonna use it from now on it's okay. twisted. Uh, uh what about you tia how have you been well i sort of let myself re- like have a little break over the summer from all my crazy workouts and stuff and I've just been getting back into aerials um I mean I never like stopped doing it but like being crazy so I'm back to being crazy and I'm just you know a bruise like my whole body is a bruise (laughs) (laughs) all I can do is lay in bed and turn pages (laughs) well that's not a bad way to you know get some reading done I guess it's true I actually read all of Pretty Deadly the first two volumes and mm-hmm. and then so that I could have it all kind of swirling in front of my mind for the first uh, issue of the third volume, which the uh, title is The Rat. And it takes place in the golden age of Hollywood, but it still is following the same characters. So in the first volume, which is kind of uh, a a Western, we are introduced to um, a character named Sarah and she can kind of see these reapers. And then um, her children are the kind of focal characters of the rat. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. And of course, death face Ginny is still there. And uh, um, Sissy, who is, death now 
it's a long story. Just go read them. But um, <laughs> it was really, really interesting to read these just straight through. And when I mentioned it in our group chat, a lot of people were like, oh, yeah, I really struggled with Pretty Deadly. It just like was hard to make sense of it. And I could see how that would happen if you're reading it month to month and waiting a long period of time in between volumes. If you were drawn to Pretty Deadly at all, but felt frustrated, like keeping up with the story, I highly recommend going back now and reading it straight through. I think it will have a little more clarity for you. Mm -hmm. And uh, so... I'm going to say that I think that a a good way to think of it is a a story is something that's told to you and that's different from like a dream or a memory that exists in your own mind. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think so the, the, there's a, a sort of conceit of this book that the story is being told by, um, the skeleton of a rabbit who they call bones bunny uh, telling the story to this butterfly. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's basically about how this little girl sissy becomes death and how the previous death had kind of let the reapers uh, get a little go rogue a little bit, get a little chaotic. uh, And, and that's kind of wrapped up in this love story that uh, about this beautiful woman who death kind of like takes as his own and gets really obsessed with. And so Sissy, um, you know, there are, there are a handful of characters who are kind of protecting her so that when she takes over as death, she can sort of put, put things right again in the world. That's, that's kind of the overarching Mm -hmm. idea here. And there's one reaper named big Alice and reapers can't be killed. They don't die. They just sort of dematerialize. And when Big Alice is killed or injured, she turns into a flock of butterflies. Mm-hmm. And she's mm-hmm. not exactly a... She's like, I wouldn't call her a bad guy, but she is at times an antagonist in the story. Not always, but sometimes. Mm-hmm. And unless I missed something, it's never really specified, but I wonder if the butterfly who's being told this story by the Bones Bunny is part of Big Alice. Uh, yeah, it's been a while since I read that. I remember reading the first two volumes myself, and uh, I don't, I have to go back and revisit it to see, but that, that seems to make sense. And, um, it does fit with that sort of the way the story's told. It's less like a straightforward narrative. It operates more like a fairy tale. Exactly, a way, or a fable. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And so if you think about why would Bones Bunny be telling the butterfly this story, I feel like if you think of the butterfly as part of Big Alice, that makes a lot of sense because um you know, butterflies themselves are sort of symbols of rebirth or of change. And mm-hmm. if part of the the overarching theme of the story is sissy kind of restoring balance or restoring goodness into the cycle of life and death, then maybe the Bones Bunny telling Big Alice the story is a way to sort of like... I mean, part of why we tell histories is so that we don't repeat pa- the, the past, right? So we can change yeah. and do better. So I don't know. I just like reading it all together. I really, that really stood out to me as a kind of reason for the story being told. 
Yeah. Now, thanks. I have to go back and reread it now. <laughs> yeah, I you all do. Think about I was going to yeah. say, that was beautiful. <laughs> I'm moved. <laughs> Thanks, Dave. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was like, I was like, what? Like when you started off, I was like, what a preface! Oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have these kind of discussions in my college classes. Jeez. <laughs> and like one more thing, I want to say about this is, um, you know, a nine panel grids are great storytelling method in comics, but they are yeah. a scrim. They establish a very firm fourth wall because of the way it controls the way you move through the story, mm-hmm. and the story beats and pretty deadly literally swirl into one another there is no and it's very manga inspired i know emma rios the artist is really into manga um but i think that this structure makes the story feel more like a dream or a memory being recalled rather than a series of events that's being told to you Mm -hmm. and i think that also kind of uh gives a sort of surrealist element to the Bones buddy telling the story to the butterfly and, and kind of maybe suggest that there is something kind of especially supernatural or internal about the story. Anyway. Yeah. This has been Tia's TED Talk. Sorry. That went on for a really long time. I apologize. No. I'm, I also, I'm good with it. It was nice. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I also read the last Wikdiv, which we're going to talk about endings yeah. in, in the main um, portion of the episode today. So I'll save that for later. Uh, and I also just want to mention quickly die number seven because um, I love trash and I love Chuck and it's very <laughs> Chuck focused and uh, spoiler alert. There's like hella sexy supernatural creatures in this episode in this one and uh when you're reading it i want you to really think about how isabel and chuck are both real trying really hard to be something that they're not but in totally opposite ways anyway that's your was homework that, was that like an assignment <laughs> yes <laughs> okay. I like, the way that came out was very <laughs> professor like when you read yeah. this this is what i want you to be thinking about and this is what i want you to focus on in your papers when you turn them yes. in at the end of the month exactly yeah i was like oh Big god Alice, i gotta write this down why chuck is trash absolutely <laughs> take notes kids <laughs> how about you paul what are you reading um, you know, it's interesting that this week's episode is all about endings, since uh, this week I wrote, read two number ones that I wanted to talk about. Um, and their number one issues are very different from final issues, obviously. And um, both things I wanted to talk about today are were very different, but I had kind of similar reactions to them as first issues. Uh, so the first one uh, is Everything Number One. This is a new Dark Horse series. Uh, it's one of the Berger books that Karen Berger is editing over at their Dark Horse. It's written by Christopher Cantwell, art by I.N.J. Culbard. Um, I, and admittedly, I remember pulling the first issue based on the cover art. I thought it was a new David Laffham book when I saw the cover, because the art is so similar to David Laffham's art style, but I like the art uh, regardless. It's still good. But anyway, everything is a, um, a department store and there's a brand new department store opening up in Holland, Michigan. So there's some references to my neck of the woods here in this issue, um, set in 1980, and there's something mysterious about this department store. Uh, the first issue sort of follows several different people. One is the city manager. One is the uh, woman who operates and manages at the department store everything. Uh, there's a few other characters, an alcoholic uh, banker that is sort of one of the main characters in the book. And they're all dealing with some sort of personal issue. It seems like they've all got something on their mind. And they're all drawn to this department store, which it's implied in some sense is basically haunted or possessed. Uh, so there's very uncomfortable vibes throughout this whole book. It gave off some pretty Twin Peaks type of vibes to me, obviously. But it was very slight. I think by the time I reached the end of the issue, I felt like there was 
I was missing something or there wasn't enough to meet there. And uh, Christopher Cantwell does a nice little essay in the back of the book where he basically does a better job explaining what the book's about than the actual issue did, which, I don't know, I have mixed feelings about. I think I'm going to continue with it because I like that premise so much, the idea of a, a possessed department store. But as a first issue, it did feel kind of slight to me. Similarly, I read uh, Legion of Superheroes Millennium Number 1, which is a miniseries that Brian Michael Bendis is writing where he's reintroducing or rebooting the Legion of Superheroes. And I had the same problems with this, whereas a lot of stuff in here, and it was all interesting, but by the end of the issue, I felt like it only felt like half of the story. You know what I mean, there wasn't enough of a hook there for me. Um, but with this, you get Brian Michael Bendis writing. You have a whole gang of artists. You have Jim Lee, Dustin Nguyen, uh, Adriana Sorrentino, and um, Andre Lima Arujo are all doing art on this, and they'll have very distinct styles. And the story here is that a minor sort of C-list DC character is revealed to be immortal, and they have lived through this entire history from modern-day DC continuity to the Legion of Superheroes in the 31st century. So the book follows that character through different eras of DC futures. So you get Batman Beyond, you get Commandy, and finally the Legion of Superheroes. And I realized that Brian Michael Bendis isn't rebooting the series yet. He's kind of doing an uh, an origin story of the Legion of Superheroes. So I was expecting a Legion book, but they don't appear in this issue at all. So maybe that's why it felt kind of slight to me. Mm. Anyway, uh, it's a beautiful looking book. You have uh, art by very different artists. I mean, Jim Lee and uh, uh, Adriana Sorrentino on the same book is a very different you know, vibe between their art styles. And that kind of made for an interesting reading experience since each artist does a different future. I'm not sure I'd have picked Sorrentino to do the Kirby commandy stuff. That didn't quite work for me, but overall, I enjoyed it. And again, like everything, the issue sort of concludes with an interview with Brian Michael Bendis, which I think does a better job explaining what the story is than the actual comic. So, oh no! Even though I enjoyed both comics, I felt that I was getting more from the interviews with the creators than the the book itself. Which you know. That's is maybe yeah, it is frustrating because they're both very good. And I'm excited to fin- continue these series, but as standalone issues, they were a little, little slight for my taste. So anyway, that's what I read. Um, but they're both good uh, overall. I enjoyed reading them both. It's like when you go out for ice cream and you end up with frozen yogurt, and you're just like, <laughs> mistakes were made. <laughs> yeah, for some reason you pick vanilla, and yeah. then you get home like, why did why did I just get vanilla? Yeah, who knows? Um, but anyway, uh, so that's what that we. <laughs> I know exactly what I'm getting when I go in there, but then again, I hardly go into ice cream shops anymore. That's well, if you sad. I mean, I get ice cream at the store because I just it's the my work schedule is it's always really late when I want ice cream, so I'm just like, well, I'll just go to the grocery store because nowhere else is open. In New York, there's this place called Insomnia Cookies. They have <laughs> cookies and ice cream, and they're open till 3 a.m. and they deliver. Oh, wow, that's perfect, man. <laughs> <laughs> man. That's uh, that's very tempting and dangerous sounding. So. It is dangerous. That sounds almost <laughs> as dangerous as like the sushi bar that stays open till two a.m. in Los Angeles. Oh. Oh my God. Well, th- there's a, a whiskey bar across the street from my house, and an insomnia cookies across the street from my house. And look, yeah, that you just <laughs> order some cookies to the whiskey bar, or you're set. Just wander over in your pajamas. <laughs> that sounds heavenly. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, gonna, uh, I'm gonna have to plan a trip to uh, engage in that. So anyway, <laughs> that's it. That, those are the books that we read uh, this week. Uh, but there's books coming out this week because the comics never end. So brand new comics <laughs> will be in the stores 
on the 11th of September, um, Wednesday. And uh, Tia, what are you excited for this week? Well, I noticed that Trees is back. The um, uh, Right? Yeah, that's the thing. The Warren Ellis book? I haven't read it. Is that the... Is that the I'm yep. thinking of the right thing? Okay. Yep, the Warren Ellis yeah. book. Uh, I recently reread the first volume and I, recently I mean like within the past year I think I actually did it for the book versus book okay yeah look look that up you, you guys let me know <laughs> if I read research. that yeah. <laughs> <laughs> who could possibly keep it straight no I um I read I read it in the past year so I feel like I should definitely kind of just you know refresh my memory a little bit because I remember being intrigued mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah and uh I'm glad to see it back. Excellent. Yeah, this is one that's perpetually on my to-read list, so maybe this is an excuse to finally track that down and read that, so we'll see. Uh, Renee, what about you? What are you excited for? Oh, I'm excited for uh, the newest chapter of One Piece, because uh, this is, it's very exciting. So One Piece, you know, obviously one a really long-running uh, manga, obviously. Uh, it's chapter 955. We are it's story and art by Ichiro Oda, fantastic, wonderful writer. And uh, we're right in the middle of his Wano arc, which uh, fans have been waiting for for a while because he kept talking about this country called Wano and describing it in just great detail. And we're like, okay, well, let's get there. And it took forever to get there. And then we finally got there, and stuff is nerds. And we're about to head right into the uh, the climax of it, which means battles, yo. And I'm excited because if they do like they do like the classic trope of everybody splits up, everyone has their own battle. And I know that it's like a cliche, it's a trope. I don't care. I love it. <laughs> I'm excited. We're gonna see new attacks, new weapons. You know, Luffy's been training. I'm I'm all in. This is why I love manga. 12-year-old Renee is really happy. 29-year-old Renee is really happy. It's good all around. I'm very excited. I I enjoy um, hearing your enthusiasm for manga. I feel like I'm, I'm enjoying it um, sort of vicariously through you. Yeah, there's nothing <laughs> When you discuss wrong it. So. <laughs> yeah, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, that, that, that's exciting. Um, and then uh, for me, this seems like a very light week for me, so I guess I have to pick Batman number 78 this week. Um this is Tom King's uh, continuing Batman series, and then this is uh, with art by Clay Mann, so I know it's at least going to look nice. Um, I've noticed a trend in Tom King's Batman stories where whenever he has like a long uh, story arc, there's always like a couple issues where there's like an interlude. Like somehow he can't just tell the story straight. There's always got to be a little digression to the side. Let me do this interlude. It's not part of the main story, even though I don't see how it isn't. It's just billed as an interlude. But this is an interlude in the current uh, City of Bane story. So if you're following Batman, you know that Bane has recently taken over control of Gotham and he's basically put all of Batman's rogues gallery in charge of the city. So they've taken, so, so like the Riddler and uh, Scarecrow have taken over the police department. They're running the police. Uh, basically the whole city is being run by the villains. And uh, Batman um, is overwhelmed with this. You know, he's in, I think they're in Europe, him and Catwoman. They've uh, ran, run away to kind of regroup and reassess what to do. And I feel like this is going to be the interlude where we finally see Catwoman help Batman get his groove back so he can go back to Gotham and uh, rescue the city from Bane. It's standard Batman story stuff, but that's my bread and butter, and I can't help but love it, you know? Is this what I've seen on Twitter? Someone posted some panels of Batman looking like 
Tom Selleck on the beach. <laughs> yeah, that was from the preview art for this issue, and I, I guess that's a big selling point for me too. Right? I mean, Tom Selleck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it is interesting. I feel like Tom King's doing a riff on the ending of Bat, the Dark Knight Rises, where you you know see Batman sort of you know in Europe like vacationing with Catwoman, you know, but. Everyone who saw that movie and is a Batman fan knows that that's not possible. Batman would never retire, so he's coming back, you know, to help save Gotham. So thank you, Paul. It's a feels like a, <laughs> feels like a riff on that 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 uh, ending of that movie, which uh, never sat well with me. So I guess Tom King is uh, correcting that in my eyes. Uh, so yeah, um, that's what we're excited about for this upcoming week. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. And we come back, we're going to talk about uh, sticking the landing, so to speak. We're going to talk about what makes for a satisfying ending of a comic book series. This week's discussion is all about endings. We'll be talking about um, satisfying ways to end a comic book story, what makes for a good ending, and we'll list some examples. So before we start this discussion, I will give a general spoiler alert and spoiler disclaimer. We'll be talking about the endings of series, so uh, if you don't want to have something you haven't read, don't want it spoiled, just a heads up. We'll try to make the spoilers uh, few and vague if possible. Um, so I guess maybe we can start this conversation by having a general discussion of what makes for a satisfying ending, like the difference between maybe ending a limited series or a OGN versus end of a story arc and ongoing series or what type of endings we find the most satisfying. So I guess I'll just open up the floor and whoever wants to jump in with their first initial thoughts. I think that basically a good ending is one where the characters end up somewhere that makes sense for the story. So <laughs> whatever events were set in motion at the beginning of the story are concluded. And there may be more stories about those characters or more things that you want to know about them, but they're not specific to the story that was told in that book. If that makes sense. That, that does make sense. That's one of the notes I sort of made here, too, is that for me, uh, it's less about tying up the loose ends of the story, and it's more about sort of the emotional growth that you see in the characters. I like a good ending where it feels like the characters grew and changed over the course of the story. There's some weight to the events of this story that you know shaped them as people, and this sort of open-endedness, not necessarily that you need a, uh, a sequel or an epilogue or something, but just the idea that these characters are now going to go on to do something else. And that is a nice, that's a satisfying feeling. Like you've gone on this journey with them and now they're going to spread their wings and fly, so to speak, right? The idea, yeah, I think is that you know them well enough as a character now that if you want to think about what they're doing outside of the story told on the page, you could probably piece it together because you understand what got them from A to B. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And there's that that, that sense of emotional growth there. And I think also a good ending, similar to that, makes me want to go back and relive those moments again with those characters. I always like a uh, reading the last issue of a run and thinking, boy, I can't wait to read this again. You know what I mean? That, that's yeah, the excitement definitely. about going back on that journey. Mm-hmm. I kind of liken it to like a really good album where that last song finishes mm-hmm. off so strong. You're like, you know, if I hit play again and we start all over, that's fine. <laughs> yeah, that's a good analogy. I like that. It's funny, a lot of times with, especially when a series has meant a lot to me, when I get the last one, I'll just like 
I want to read it, but I also don't want to read it. <laughs> you know? I had this experience recently. I think I talked about it on a, a recent episode where I bought the final issue of Paper Girls and just sat on my desk for like maybe three weeks. Like I just couldn't bring myself to read it. I had to be at a, a spot emotionally ready to read it. So like I wanted to make sure it was like, you know, not when I was tired, not the first thing in the morning, maybe like in the afternoon after I've, you know, you know, woken up and had my, my, my day going. So it wouldn't be a big surprise. I wouldn't be comfortable. Maybe put on some music to read it. it, it all the components and variables had to be perfect for that final moment of that series for me. So it took me a long yeah. time to get to it. <laughs> yeah, no, I get that. It's got, you got to have the perfect setting. It's not, it's, it's almost like, a you know, Valentine's Day for you in the book. <laughs> <laughs> you might have some chocolates afterwards. I could cry if necessary. You know, it's not, but it's not a sad thing. It's a good thing. Renee, I'm worried about your love life because Valentine's <laughs> Day shouldn't be like the ending of, of something. <laughs> All right, maybe a bad analogy, but I couldn't think of we something else. We should talk after this. <laughs> uh, I mean, uh, possibly. Uh, but I mean, I think it's I think it's kind of funny because most of the time I don't have that. A lot of the time I will actually accidentally read the ending and I don't know that it's the end. And <laughs> okay, then it suddenly yeah. ends and I'm like, oh, oh, well, yeah. where was the warning for that? I am definitely worried about your love life. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, so with manga, they don't, most of the time they say, by the way, the next chapter is the last one, like the, like the chapter before, but there have been half a dozen times where they don't say the final volume, the final issue. And I'm just like, oh, oh. Now, is <laughs> oh, that God. because they didn't know? Um, I don't know. Sometimes, because, some, sometimes it is. Yeah, so when they know, a lot of the times when they're like canceled or something like that, they're like, "By the way, our issues get our our series is going to end in like four issues," and then you're like, you know, you have time to prepare for it, and you know. But I mean, sometimes a series is just over. Yeah. And, uh, like the ending for Bleach was really, really abrupt. And even though it was the final arc and it had been going on for like two years, <laughs> I have a lot of things about Bleach, but we won't discuss them here. But when it finally ended, like, you know, and this this was something I finally found out like a couple months ago that I didn't know was that they had canceled Bleach and he only had like three or four weeks to tidy it all up, which is why the last couple chapters are so awkward and clunky. But at the same time, it was like it still made sense for the ending. But I was like, "Oh, oh, so we just we're just gonna wrap up that battle like that? Okay, all right, whatever." But at the same time, Bleach wasn't so bad because I was just reading it because I'd put years into it, and I was like, "Let's just let's just get through this. Remember the good times." So that that makes me think of something that I mean, I admittedly didn't read, but we had recently the big news that The Walking Dead sort of ended abruptly in a similar fashion, right? So the people that have been mm -hmm. reading that series for years and years, all of a sudden it just it just ended, kind of out of the blue. And I'd, I'd be curious to hear people who had been on that book, because I, I think I read maybe the first 60 issues and then dropped off. But if you were on that journey with that book for that long, was that sort of abrupt ending? Did it fit or did it feel, you know... Um, did it feel abrupt or did it feel un unearned in some sense? Like that's always an interesting uh, notion to me since most of the endings I was thinking about for this discussion were ones where you knew it was coming, right? And you're emotionally prepared for it in some sense. Mm. 
Yeah. And also, I think, Renee, you bring up an interesting point about like books that you feel like you need to finish because you're just that far into them (laughs) versus like books that you're still just as emotionally invested in as you were in the first few, you know, issues. Like, I mean, obviously, The Wicked and the Divine is a book that meant a whole lot to people, like right up to the end. Mm -hmm. And I I think arguably, issue 44 was really the last issue of the story and issue 45 was like literally like a wake you know Mm. where it felt very kind of uh, I mean it's very fourth wall breaking in the sense that it kind of invites the reader into the epilogue just to kind of say like hey you know, you did it. We're proud of you. It's going to be okay. Um, We're, you know, kind of just in the way that you would be there for each other at a funeral. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, and, and even though it's um, part of the, the story or like it takes place in the universe with the characters, um, it really felt like it was acknowledging the emotional investment that the readers had put into it, which I thought was really nice. And, but it didn't, I mean, it did it in a way that still felt very authentic for the story. And I don't think every story is set up in a way that has room for that. But I think it was nice to have that acknowledgement that like, you know, it was planned Mm -hmm they had said since day one, it would probably be 45 issues and it was, you know, and like, um, I think it was just sort of a good way to wrap it up and to give everyone the the kind of closure that you, you need when you've put so much emotional investment into a a story. Yeah. 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 So that's, that's interesting because I think it seems like that book um, and a lot of Kieran Gillen stuff, there is such a sort of uh, interaction between the creators and the fans that it is that sort of shared journey, not just between you and the characters, but you and the actual creative team of the book itself, right? So maybe that type of emotional connection, that type of epilogue, you need to unpack everything and 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 uh, reflect on it is seems uh, unique to that the their their uh, his stuff, those books. Maybe yeah. It'll be interesting, I think, to see something like Die, though, because I don't think that Die ha- is quite as entwined mm-hmm. in that way. It- it'll be interesting to compare. Yeah. Mm. I'm now going to call all of those, like, series that have a, a final chapter like that, I'm going to call those, like, wake chapters or wake issues from now on, because <laughs> that's, like, a perfect, perfect metaphor for it. And, uh, there, there are a bunch of manga that have that where like the story ends and then they're like, by the way, next chapter is the last chapter. So, it's, but it's it's kind of like an epilogue and most of the time there's like a time skip type thing and they're like, this is for all of that in case you were wondering type thing. And like I've read a lot of stories like that and uh, sometimes it's okay and sometimes I, it kind of upsets me because they release them not as full chapters but as like. The, it's like uh, like Shokugeki no Soma just did the this the Food Wars manga where they were like the last chapter was three fifteen but we've also we're also gonna put out a three fifteen point one three fifteen point two three fifteen point three I was like why did just just do like a sixty page thing but, but it's probably because they were like oh you know what I don't have time to do all the inking on this so I mean I guess <laughs> I didn't think of that and then it just yeah. hit me and I was like all right in that case never mind do your thing. <laughs> 
Don't run yourself ragged. I mean, I think, though, that, like, especially if you compare a planned limited series or even a planned long-running series, but just, like, the difference between knowing where your ending is going to be versus an ongoing that just one day is kind of like, hey, by the way, we're ending this. Right. Um, You know, it does give you the opportunity, I think, to have that closure. Whereas sometimes I feel like series where you could tell that they kind of get canceled and then they just kind of go off the rails. And it's almost like the difference between having like a civil breakup with versus having, you know, a, a catastrophic breakup where you're just like fighting it out and then you just never want to talk again mm-hmm. i keep like for me um the angela books were kind of like that when uh they got canceled and then all of a sudden they're like moving to new york and going to, and there's like a hamilton reference on every page and i'm just like <laughs> okay yeah they don't care what you guys are doing anymore i guess <laughs> just phoning it in right yeah, we're not even voting it in, but just like we're already canceled, so I could just mm. like do whatever I want in right. any nonsensical way. It's yeah. like, oh, okay. Well, it's like a middle finger, you know? <laughs> <laughs> that reminds yeah. me of uh, one book. This is going back uh, maybe like f- uh, five or six years, but there was a series, uh, Thor the Mighty Avenger, which was a series that uh, Roger Langridge was writing and Chris Somney did the art for. And I love that series. And um, I don't know if it had a specific length in mind when they started it, but it got canceled pretty abruptly. I think it only made like seven issues. And you got that sense by the end of the last, by that last couple issues. Like they had a whole story and they're like, we could try to cram it all in or we could just let it ride it out and just kind of have like a, a you know, a truncated version of the story with a sort of a nice emotional beat at the end. But you could tell the story beats shifted dramatically once they realized they were going to be canceled. You know, it's interesting to see that happening in real time. Is there a way to do that elegantly? Um, not that I've ever read. So. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, most of the time when I read it, and, and you can tell that a series is about to be canceled, is because like uh, there was one that I was reading that was a it was a manga about golf, and it's called Robot Laser Beam. I've talked about it on the podcast. Um, it makes sense in the context of the story, but uh, <laughs> it's such a weird title. Damn. But it, like in it, like they did a time skip to get to more interesting like golf matches and more interesting rivals or whatever, and you know it did la- it, it did ended up like pushing them to be able to be published for a little bit longer. But then when the, they did a whole tournament arc and then just suddenly the next chapter was like, yeah, so we're going to finish this tournament and then we're going to do a three year time skip because it's the end. And it was like, you could tell that they were fighting the entire way, but then they were just like, look, I know what you really want to get to. So I'm going to let you know they get there. (laughs) And it was just, it was, that was like the best that I've seen someone handle it really well. Yeah. It's just the like they're like, look, I I have led I've told you that this is the end game that they're trying to get to, and obviously we want to get to the journey, but we don't have time for it. So I'm just gonna let you know, we get to that thing that you we were going to get to that thing that you wanted to see. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. And like that's the that's the best that I've ever seen someone handle like you know in the story wise of being canceled. I mean, there's another example that just came to my mind that obviously I need to bring up is Jack Kirby's New Gods. You know, so he did this the series uh, four different books at DC in the early '70s. They all got canceled um, before he could finish the sort of big story he was telling across all four books. But they brought him back like ten years later to do a sort of conclusion. 
right? He did a standalone book that kind of wrapped up the story he was going to tell. The problem is, similarly, there's 10 years difference. He's a different creator at that point. He's bitter and jaded about making comic books. And there's such a sort of pessimistic tone to the ending that I don't think would have been there if he had finished it when he wanted to. And again, it's a truncated version of like, here's a big story epic I was going to do. I have to do it in like a, you know, a 60 page oversized issue. And it's great. The Hunger Dogs is a great conclusion to the story, but I, I can definitely sense that Kirby was a different spot personally and creatively when he did it as opposed to the other books. So it makes for a jarring sort of conclusion to the story. You know, it's fascinating when stuff like that happens where it is the sort of um, the physical reality of being a creator affects the story itself in some sense. Mm. Yeah. I think that's kind of, I, I do kind of like that, that idea yeah. that like, like you can sort of see how their ideas change throughout you know the works and even if you go back and read them you can sort of like if you didn't sense it while you were reading it while you were picking it up while it was yeah. out <laughs> like if you go back you can see the changes throughout or whatever it's like you can I always tell cool. you can almost always tell when a creator like becomes a parent because all of a sudden the stories like shift tone dramatically <laughs> you know what i mean that's i think yeah this, being able to notice the nuts and bolts of that stuff is kind of fascinating and i think that can make for an interesting ending in some regard yeah, I you just made me think of this, but in uh, JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, um, written by Hirohiko Araki, he constantly will have um, ideas that he likes, and then he'll bring them up in the story, and then halfway through he'll be like, "No, I don't like that." And he, instead of trying to like fix it, he just goes, he just tosses it aside. Just we're gonna forget that. We're gonna just do this instead. <laughs> and there's like just a there's so many things throughout the series that people are just like, yeah, whatever happened with that? Or like he changes the rules for like the worlds and just like people are like, yeah, what happened to that? He goes, don't worry about that. Just <laughs> just focus on the new thing that I'm telling you. <laughs> right. That's sort of like editing editing on the fly. You know, it's like, yeah. well, I could just edit that out, but we'll just keep going. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I very, very briefly, I maybe want to talk about that distinction between, you know, we're talking about a lot of our discussion has been about like series that have a definite ending, right? But what about, it's not as common anymore, but the idea that an ongoing book, maybe a creative team ends their story, but then the book keeps going afterwards. Like, how do you do that gracefully? And the example that always comes to my mind is Grant Morrison's Doom Patrol, which is such an iconic run. And Mike and I talked about the whole thing over on the Patreon. You can find, I go into detail about the the final issue, which I absolutely love of his run, but the book keeps going after that. And it's like that sort of creative balance that the teams have to do. Say like, I'm going to end this story in a big emotional beat that really like encapsulates everything I did. You get to pick up the pieces next month and figure out what to do next. Like, that makes for some interesting, jarring sort of juxtapositions issue to issue when you get to those endings. I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> so you think every book should just end when the creative team, you know, yes. leaves and just re- restart it? Okay. I But I hate ongoings. Like, oh, okay. Yeah. I don't understand them. I don't understand, like, soap opera formats. Hmm. Okay. If, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I, I, like, yeah, I just don't really see how you can engage with a text in the way that I like to engage with it kind of uh, looking at it critically and breaking down themes and understanding how the structure tells us like all that stuff I just like you can't do that without a beginning a middle and an end right right and you know and also I don't think that it's easy to do that without um, making some of the variables constants 
and one of those is should be the creative team. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting. I think I, I think we've uh, maybe hinted at a topic for a later episode because this is a pretty big conversation here. But that is an interesting thing to read, think about because I've been reading a lot of stuff from the late seventies, and that it very much is the episodic soap opera. You know, episode after episode after episode. There's obviously story arcs and ongoing themes and stories and plots and stuff, but that changing of the creative teams every few months and stuff, it does make for a very different reading experience. One that I've become to appreciate more in a sense, but I can definitely see why some people have a problem with that. Like, I just don't care about the plot at Mm. all in anything. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I don't care. That's why I don't understand people who get really upset about spoilers and just like, okay, (laughs) look, don't at me and don't at the show because Mike will feel very sad that your feelings were hurt and he doesn't deserve to, like, get anxious about things because I'm a jerk. I don't care. I, like, get over it. Like, I don't understand people who freak out about spoilers because I'm like, who cares what happens? What's, like, I actually want to know like just give me the spoiler so i can actually like look at how it happens that's what i think is interesting (laughs) about art and texts and movies and things so like part of the reason i have a problem getting into ongoing because i'm just like i don't care what happens (laughs) i can i can understand that i also have a thing where um, I think the way the story is told is more important than the actual events of the story. So spoilers never really yeah. bother me that much, but I do that, and that's why I like to rewatch and re rewatch movies and reread comics. I know what's coming, Same. and I can see the pieces come together. You know, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, apparently we're three of a kind because I also do not <laughs> mind spoilers. <laughs> yes. In fact, a lot of the time I would uh, like the way that I pick up new series is that I will read a later issue. Mm. And like, if something spark, if I'm, I'm like, that looks cool. That looks interesting. How did we get yeah. to this point? Guess I'm grabbing this number one. You know, totally. And that's, I that's, look up spoilers for everything. I mean, I don't look it up for everything, but I mean, uh, it's I, I still will like like if I have to know, I will. But I mean, for the most part, I'm like it, it doesn't it doesn't bother me. Which drives my best friend nuts because he's like, don't spoil it for yourself. I'm like, well, it's too late. He goes, why would you do that? And I'm Dump like, him. <laughs> no, he's the only one that understands me, Tia. <laughs> like, look, y'all, Snape kills Dumbledore. Just like, relax. Yeah. <laughs> there it is. There, we gave you the warning. So. <laughs> um, I mean, so, we already did the the spoiler warning. But, oh my right. god! Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm having having reactions to this. So, uh, with with that, um, you know. Uh, with that spoiler there, maybe we can jump into giving, <laughs> talking about some of our favorite uh, uh, finales, some of the ones that we think are exemplary um, uh, examples of uh, finishing a series uh, strong, landing, sticking the ending, so to speak, sticking the landing. I mentioned Paper Girls. I thought the last series of Paper Girls was really great because that book, reading it month to month, was kind of a headache because uh, time travel stuff already makes my head hurt. And the fact that they did a good uh I think they attempted to do a time travel story which ignored all of the sort of quote-unquote rules of time travel. It seemed like a very convoluted story. By the time you get to the last issue, I was like, there's no possible way they can satisfyingly make all this stuff make sense. So instead, the finale is just an emotional moment between the characters. And I realized that all 30 issues of that series was just me becoming emotionally invested in those characters as opposed to trying to figure out the sort of structure and loopholes of the time travel stuff. So just having a nice moment with all those characters together again at the end was such a nice way to finish that series and was so satisfying to me. 
100% my favorite ending is uh, Gillen's Journey into Mystery. It is the most emotionally devastating ending, but it isn't cheap. Like, it's inevitable. And it is set up to be inevitable. It's It doesn't come out of nowhere, yet it does. And because you're just like, it, you're also set up with all this hope that like, mm maybe it could be different. Like maybe it's going to be better than this, but no, no, hmm. I have to go back and read that. Yeah. It's I just, on my list. I, I mean, I really love how it does that in a way that doesn't feel like it's like a cheap emotional moment. It, mm-hmm. it, it really genuinely builds you up to, to have that hope. And then it like, you know, and then it dashes your dreams. <laughs> right. But to be fair, and in contradiction to what I said earlier, um, the Loki Agent of Asgard series, which I kind of think of as the last in the Loki trilogy, if you could put Young Avengers in the middle, um, I do think that Al Ewing like brings it home to a much more gentle place, and he does it really well. Interesting. Uh Renee, do you have any? I see you have a whole list here. Do you want to maybe pick a couple? <laughs> no, yeah, no, I was only going to pick two. Those were all things that I wanted to try to like think of bringing up. Sure. But um, I think my two favorite, because actually a lot of the series that I have written on there, some of them, uh, I put JoJo's Bizarre Adventure down there, but technically like each part has an ending, but <laughs> we're not going to get into that because we don't have enough time. Um <clears throat> But my two favorite endings um, if, to a series is uh, there's a series called Kakaishi, and it's by Yellow Tanabe, and it's basically about mages um, in Japan. And the series, though, is very long. I think it's got like 30-some volumes. And the ending for it, though, it ties up multiple storylines very, very well. There's a lot of really good emotional emotional stuff both for the heroes and the villains and then it also does explain the aftermath of it without it being an epilogue because the thing is that what what their final goal is without giving spoilers is it's it's something that affects the rest of all the main characters lives because this problem that they've had the entire series is no longer there so like uh, the author going into how that affects the rest of their lives in the last chapter. It doesn't feel like an epilogue because it's something that you have to know and it kind of flows really well with the ending of the series as well because it's not like, oh, we beat the bad guy, now here's the last chapter. It was, we beat the bad guy, everything's still crumbling, there's still a bunch of stuff that we've had to deal with that we've been discussing and this is how it goes and it's very it's a very smooth transition and it's very satisfying and i think it's probably the best ending i've ever read um for a series and then my favorite my second favorite is bakuman because even though i didn't want it to end and it's really good they they do tie up everything really well all the things that we wanted to see and uh bakuman's about um people making a manga so they actually finish the manga that they're writing in the series and they're like hey look forward to our next work and then at the end of the series they go thanks for reading bakuban look forward to our next <laughs> series and i was like oh you bastards you brilliant bastards oh and it was it's just but it, it makes me happy i'm getting i'm getting you know all warm and cozy just thinking about it and i'm probably gonna read bakuman <laughs> as soon as we're done then go back and revisit yeah yeah um uh, i, I 
very briefly, maybe I could mention, I thought uh, Tom King's Mr. Miracle ended very well. That was, oh, yeah. You know, that was a pretty great, satisfying ending to that, especially two characters that I have an emotional connection with because I've read the Jack Kirby stuff. And just the way he was able to kind of take those characters and do something which felt unique but true to the the originals. It was a real satisfying way to do that. I mentioned, Quick question. Yeah. What, do you think Scott was dead the whole time? Um, yes, I do. <laughs> I uh yeah, I think that was the cuz I mean uh I think he was dead the whole time. I think that's why there's so many moments in that series where things don't make sense. Like why would he see that first issue? Why would he see Oberon if Oberon's been dead, right? They tell him that. Mm-hmm. Big Barra tells yeah. him that in the first issue. It's like going that's one that definitely needs to go back and I need to go back and reread and kind of pick that all apart. And uh but I think that's the only way that series makes sense cuz Tom King says it's in continuity, right? And there's no trick ending. There's no, you know, it was all a dream kind of thing, even though yeah. I guess maybe it is, but yeah. <laughs> well, see, yeah. I actually I actually feel like having him not be dead, it kind of goes back, I guess, to, the, to what I was saying about Pretty Deadly. I think that the, a lot of those techniques were ways for us to feel like that was Scott's experience of the world where he's questioning his own kind of I guess sanity and existentialism and all that sort of thing yeah yeah anyway yeah but you're right good ending <laughs> that is good yeah and that stuff's tricky I mean if you're talking about the difficulty of managing an ongoing series versus a limited thing Kirby wanted all that new god stuff to end you know what I mean but those we still been telling stories with those characters for you know 40 years since you know he he wanted it to end so how do you do that and I he- think Tom King did a good job of doing that you know you know you did something well when there's two opposite interpretations that both textually make sense. Yep, exactly. It's a tough trick to pull off. I think he nailed it with that one. Um, I mentioned Morrison's Doom Patrol, uh, his last issues being one of my very favorites. And um, I, technically, it's not, not ending, but I, I think there's a lot of Love and Rocket stories which have amazing final like story beats. And the nice thing about that series is that it keeps going. Even though it can have a standalone story, like the death of Speedy Ortiz, I think is one of the greatest endings I've ever read in any comic book. But those characters go on and have more stories after that. But you can read that one section as a standalone story and have a real satisfying conclusion. Of course, the the spoiler is there in the title of the story, the death of Speedy Ortiz, right? That's one that stands out to me. And I think the Love Bunglers, I remember reading the Love Bunglers by Jaime Hernandez. And the last like panel like just made me so... I felt s- such an emotional connection to those characters and that last panel, I remember putting the book down and just welling up with tears, so happy having gone through that journey. But again, he's still telling the stories with Maggie. So it's not like the series itself ended, but that as a sort of standalone moment in her ongoing series, or story was so satisfying. I think it's one of the perfect endings. That's why I recommend that story specifically as... If you don't want to read all 30 plus years of Love and Rockets, you just want to read one really great Maggie story, like Love Bunglers is the one. So I, because of that ending. So there's my obligatory Love and Rockets discussion for this week's episode. Um, <laughs> does anybody have any final thoughts about endings before we quote unquote end the episode, I guess? Mm-hmm. I don't I don't know. I guess this might be a discussion for another time, which is like, you know, I go, or I don't know if we, I think we briefly brushed on it, but like, um, endings that just kind of leave a bad taste in your mouth i think that yeah but like it was like if it it wasn't like canceled or anything like that it's just the ending just was 
not great. <laughs> I was going to try to bring up the Morrison's final Batman issue when he does the Batman uh, Incorporated, the last issue of his sort of seven-year run with the character, and how it's the most depressing ending I've ever read, and it's hard for me to like emotionally unpack it. But uh, I want to keep a sort of happy endings for this episode. But okay. that could be okay. a, okay. a topic was, for sorry, another time. Sorry, not to be a bummer. I was just like, <laughs> did we talk about this? Because I mean, you were talking about endings. What makes yeah. a satisfying ending? I was like, yeah. you know, and, uh, sorry, sorry to be a downer. <laughs> no. That's a good topic for another discussion. So um, yeah, I think. Well, now I guess that this episode of the podcast is one of those, Renee. <laughs> I thought we've been laughing this entire time. I'm feeling very jovial. I mean, but that could also be because, you know, it's New Manga Day. Who knows? <laughs> well, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, you listening out there, if you have any uh, endings that you think are good examples, or maybe not good examples of a satisfying ending, please let us know. You know where to find us. We're all over the internet. Um, you can follow us on Twitter. Renee is over there on Twitter at Rodriguer29. Tia is at Portrait of Madam X. I'm at Ohi Polly. And of course, the show is at IRCB Podcast. We're over there. We're sharing comic book news, art we like, and some sass. It's all over there on Twitter. Subscribe on Patreon at patreon.com slash ircbpodcast. Without your support, this show wouldn't survive. Join now for access to exclusive audio and articles, early access to top of my pile posts, and so much more. Uh, our Goodreads group is a lovely community of comic friends where we have weekly threads. Uh, I don't even know what this week's thread is because I didn't check because I'm a bad employee or guest, <laughs> whatever. But, you know, go ahead, check it out. It's there. And uh, we also have some pretty great discussions. Uh, and you can check that out at ircbpodcast.com slash goodreads. You can find our website at ircbpodcast.com where we have a creator pronunciation guide and merch and much more. Please remember to rate and review IRCB, and we'll read your review on an episode of the show. So be nice to us, please. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. We'll also read your hate. It's fine. Um, <laughs> but we have over 200 episodes, so you can go back and leave us 200 reviews. We would love that. You could also email the show. Uh, tell us what you've been reading, how you like things. Tell us about your dog. Give us recipes, corrections. Yell at me about being a spoiler jerk. Uh, <laughs> our, our email is ircbpodcast at gmail.com. Infinity Shred is the best band in the world. They also happen to do the theme music for our episodes. Uh, Xander is an immortal wizard who lives on the moon, and he edits the show in his spare time. So I want to thank uh, Tia and Renee for joining me on this episode. Thank you, Mike, for letting me sit in the uh, host chair this week. And thank you for listening. We really appreciate it. Until next time, comics are good, and so are you. have returned. Hello. Hello. How are you, Tia? Mm, you know, it's fine. It is what it is. Word. <laughs> How about you? Ditto. Ditto. Yeah. Dog. Yeah. Is what over it, it is. <laughs> Froyo, over it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm back. Hello. Hello. Greetings. Nice. Salutations. Vegan burritos. Vegan, vegan burritos. Mm, yeah. Uh, I'm just trying to say I'm things that you like as a greeting. I'm trying to make it a thing. <laughs> <laughs>
I just I was gonna say I just cracked open a chilled adult beverage. So that's one thing okay. I like. So vegan burritos and chilled adult beverages are. Oh right, because it's the afternoon. That's actually like. That's right. I think that that should become a thing where you just like say a random thing that a person likes as a greeting. Exactly. <laughs> I'm trying to make it a thing. Tell your friends. Spread it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so people just run up to me and say, "Batman." Like, yeah. Exactly. Well, you, well, you, you started out. You gotta be like, "Hey, how's it going?" You know, Batman. No, no, I think that you really have to like make it like more like a greeting. Just be like, hey, Paul, Jack Kirby to you this fine afternoon. Oh, that's a good one. one. I'm trying to think of like uh, one for gymnastics. I know, I was racking my brain of gymnastics references. I mean, I haven't followed gymnastics religiously since I was like seven. That's okay. There's no time like the present. Yeah. That's right. You can always get World back championships into whatever. Championships are now. coming up. Yeah, and then the Olympics next summer. I know. Um, it, uh, in Japan, <laughs> you're right? so excited for a sport you haven't watched since you were seven. Oh, I mean, I love. I, I watched the Olympics <laughs> every year. It was just mm-hmm. kind of like, but I didn't. I used to follow gymnastics a lot when yeah. I was a kid because my mom would uh, would just have us all sit down and watch the Olympics and stuff like that, and then she would yeah. bring out socks and stuff for us to sort. And so we get really into the Olympics while sorting laundry. Okay. Because well, wow, it's, it was that's a house. So... Of, it was a house of five. Five boys were all running around tearing up stuff, and instead Good it's Lord. like watch sports and keep your hands busy, and then it, it kind of worked. <laughs> so it's like, oh. your mom deserves an award. Yeah, we put them up on the walls. So I mean, her awards, not our socks. <laughs> <laughs> Is Paul still there? I don't know. Paul. Uh oh. What's happening? I don't know. Possibly he left. Hello. D- hey. I'm, I'm, Yay. I'm back. Hey, sorry. Okay. Yay! We thought you vanished. I just dis- I was raptured, and you guys were left behind. So don't <laughs> yeah. say that. That's a recurring nightmare I have. <laughs> also, when I wake up and no one's in the house, I'm just like, oh no. It's happened. Did you sign up with that service for a, a heathen who's left behind to take care of Phyllis after you're raptured? Oh, that's oh, Phyllis is clearly going to heaven with us. She's going to be raptured. If anyone's getting to heaven, it's going to be Phyllis. But I mean, like, those are the rules. <laughs> I heard all dogs go to heaven. Yeah. I think it's a lie. <laughs> uh, she would be taking care of me in any regard. So <laughs> she's in the room right, right now. So she knows we're talking about Hi, her. Hi, Phyllis. 